It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges paradigms and mindsets that hold us back. Um, glad to be bringing you season two um, of, of our podcast. We've been on a, you may call it a hiatus, but, but we're back um, with, with more powerful stories and interviews that will challenge you um, to be the best you can be. Today, I have a special guest joining us all the way from Cape Town, South Africa, in the person of Rusty Labuschagne, who has a book and a story called Beating Chains. Rusty, thank you so much for coming on the Time with Fred podcast today. Thank you, Fred. Again, thank you for allowing your story to inspire the world. But Rusty, to take us back a little bit, um, I know the story, but for audience who are watching and listening, take us back and tell us about Beating Chains. How did that come to be? Okay, Fred, well, thank you so much for having me on. Fred, Beating Chains is my autobiography. I come from humble beginnings as a fourth generation Zimbabwean in a cattle ranching background. I was sent to, at the innocent age of six, I was sent to a boarding school 200 kilometers away, 120 miles away from home. Um, I lost my dad at 12, which turned our lives upside down, and then endured the wild ways of the Rhodesian Bush War throughout my teens on cattle ranches. And it was a, it was a wild era. Um, and being crazy about rugby and water polo and the war environment created a wild, hardy character. Hardships were part of everyday life. When I left school, I was uh, um, real competitive. Um, I just felt I'd, I'd lost out um, growing up, um, come from humble beginnings. I, uh, I didn't do well working for people. I was more of a leader. Um, in sport as well, I ended up playing uh, rugby for Zimbabwe, for my country. And after seven years, I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my own business in the safari business. That's what I went into. After five years, I had done extremely well. I, uh, I was flying my own aircraft. I had a fishing resort on Lake Kariba, flashy cars, houseboats, speedboats, you name it. Uh, life couldn't have been better. And then... Um, in late 2000, during the political lawless land invasion chaos in Zimbabwe, um, I was framed for drowning a fish poacher close to my fishing resort on Lake Kariba. And on the 3rd of April 2003, without a body, against police evidence and on presumptions, I was convicted of drowning that poacher and sentenced to 15 years in prison of which five were removed as remission. It turned my life upside down. Um, the conditions were unimaginable. And I'll just run through, through some of them. I shared a cell 13 meters long by three meters wide with 78 other inmates. Each person had 33 centimeters, 13 inches, marked out on the walls in chalk. That was your space. The toilet was a stainless steel toilet bowl sunk into an open one meter square cement block in one corner. And you were packed like sardines with legs all crossing over in the middle. You all faced the same direction. When you turned over, it was all together. 
As cushioning against the cold concrete floor, you'd fold two of your paper thin, worn out, last written blankets several times to fit your space, 13 inches, then covered yourself with the third one. And your clothes were wrapped around your toothbrush and toothpaste, or that gets stolen, and that was your pillow. From sleeping on those freezing hard floors, my hips had bruised black rings for years and shoulders still give trouble today. Mm. And then we only, we had no basins with taps in the cells and only one set of clothing was allowed at any one time. So we had to wash our clothes in the cell toilets at night wearing a blanket, then hanging them on the walls with smuggled book staples to dry by the next morning. And three or four of us would get together and take turns to wash our clothes because one garment had to be used to block the toilet to allow the toilet bowl to fill up when attempting to flush and the water only ever dribbled in slowly. Wow. Then we'd wash the clothes on the cement block surrounding the toilet bowl, dipping them in and out as we washed. At about 5 a.m., we'd take the slightly damp clothes, place them on a cleanly swept concrete floor and rub the creases out with a prison-made sponge. Then fold them neatly, place them in a pile, put a hand towel over the pile and stamp on it hard with bare feet, leaving them perfectly ironed. Another hour hanging on the walls, they'd be ready to wear. And I just want to point to, to the listeners. Mm -hmm. Imagine wearing the clothes you're wearing now for six months without a change. Wow. We were only given clothes every six months, sometimes every nine months, leaving us walking around in tatters. But Imagine washing your, having to wash your clothes in a well-used toilet, then having to wear them the very next day. I often thought how far removed that situation was from my life before prison, mm -hmm. with my beautiful home and washdown clothing every day. The humiliation was beyond comprehension. And then in 2005, Harare City ran out of water. So for three years, while I was in Chikarubi Maximum Security Prison, each prisoner was allocated only one plastic cup of water a day. One cup of dirty orange city runoff water from a nearby dam carried by farm prisoners. That was to drink, clean your teeth, wash your face, bath, everything for three years. Most only bathed when it rained within our four hours out of cells. And that was after nine months once. Then all 400 of us in our hall would make a mad rush into the exercise yard and excitedly have a thorough scrub. And it was like Christmas, trying to catch the best runoff water from the broken gutters. Wow. Wow. It was crazy. And then in my first six years, I watched over 2,200 people die, primarily from mal malnutrition. It was during the Zimbabwe dollar crash when there was no food outside of prison, never mind in there. And it was during that um, financial crash, the, the world financial crash of 2008. It was unimaginable. There were people dying everywhere. So I learned um, the most uh, valuable life lessons um, and hidden attributes about myself were the lessons I learned in prison. And that's what I share on stages worldwide now mostly virtually and uh it's making a huge difference you know it's 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 i know you share the story uh rusty hundreds of times um 
what does it do to you when you're when you're having to share because i'm watching you and i'm seeing your your mind go back to the horrific conditions that you're subjected mm -hmm. to and take yourself from someone who is doing so well living the life right as you rightly described it you know in your beautiful home with all the cars and then the next minute the next season of life you're reduced to 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 nothing you know that alone, Rusty, is enough to kill people. I mean, that that that's that shift alone. I mean, someone would rather die than 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 be reduced to 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 a life like that. And 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 there's a quote that is attributed to you, and I quote you. It says, "Everyone is faced with challenges, but it is who you are and the depth of your determination that will get you through life's darkest moments." Could you respond to that, Fred? People don't uh, don't realize what they can go through in life. Mm. And I think that the, that the human species have become weaker over time. We, if you look back at, at, our, at our folks and the life they lead, that they led and what they went through and what they sacrificed to, to give us what we have today, mm -hmm. we have actually a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, unappreciative people that whine about the most pathetic stuff mm. on the you know on the earth and when when it comes time to bite the bullet when you have no other option mm. or you'll die you get through it as long as you got a place to lie down air to breathe some water to drink if even if there's no food i mean we we ran out of food that's why the guys died and it just proved to me that uh, we can get through a whole lot more than we think we can. Yeah, it's one thing you said, Rashti, uh, in another uh, interview that I was watching you on, and you and you touch on something that I often I often talk about: taking things for granted. Right? You wake up, and automatically you assume you're going to sleep and wake up. You automatically assume you're going to be able to breathe. You automatically assume you're going to be able to walk. You automatically assume that some of life's necessities are going to be there and so you take those things for granted right but until you go through life where some of those basic things are, are taken away until you realize that breathing is a big deal or seeing it is a big deal or the ability to walk is, is a big deal it, it changes your, your your whole psyche and and if there's anyone to to appreciate that or to be able to speak clearly to that 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 would be you because you went from one extreme to the total extreme within within a matter of days or if i may put it that way how has that shaped your your perception about some of the things in life that we, we take we take for granted one of the biggest lessons i learned fred is to appreciate things in life mm. and we um we all want too much in our lives concentrating on what we haven't got instead of being grateful for what we have and for me, giving thanks to God every day mm. goes a long way. For a soft bed, running water. Yeah. yeah. And I just find that people create their own prisons outside of prison. Mm. And it's it's crazy. You know, people have a have a big shout about a bad hair day or something wrong with their clothes. And you know, like this pandemic that's going on. Yeah. I mean, it's being blown so far out of proportion. But we need to look at the big picture. Men in prison, often we get so caught up in circumstances that yeah. we see only yeah. problems. Yes. 
In prison, we had nothing but difficulties. Mm. And if you give yourself over to them, they will literally kill you. Kill your soul, your spirit, drain your strength, and lead to sickness. Scientists say that negative emotions lead to the excessive excretion of cortisol, which is a stress hormone in, hormone in your brain. Cortisol is good, but too much of it can lead to chronic disease. Mm -hmm. I watched hundreds of guys die from stress in prison. They hadn't actually contracted a disease, yet they died from the worry of possibly perishing like so many others. In, in the, when I was moved to a medium security prison um, in 2008 and nine, in eight months out of 1,200 of us prisoners at Arari Central Prison, 432 died. In eight months, that's one, more than one third of us in eight months from cholera. And we had no, uh, no social distancing. We were locked in a prison, first of all. Mm -hmm. No social distancing, packed like sardines at night, no hand sanitizers, no face masks, no gloves, no nothing. And through it all, I just kept my faith, remained positive, extra vigilant, and, and cautious. We are a tough species and can overcome the harshest conditions if we believe we can. And I think that that's something that people really need to, 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 to think about. Yeah. And stop whining about little things. Yeah. They, they're very small now. You know, uh, Victor, Victor Frankl, one of uh, my, my favorite authors, and you may have read his book, he, he wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, and he describes his experience in, in Auschwitz. And the essence of it is that, you know, you can allow everything to be taken away from you. But one thing that you shouldn't allow to be taken away from you is, is your freedom. You, you have control. So they can do whatever. And he went through probably similar situations and, you know, <laughs> that you went through. And I mean, describing prison conditions. He chose how he responded uh, to, to, to all the, the bad treatments um, that, uh, that, that were being meted out. And, and you write about freedom uh, in your book, which we're, we're going to be covering, but, but how important is that? I mean, how does one choose to keep one's freedom intact in spite of everything else that's going on around them? So when you walk into prison, <clears throat> the first thing is uh, the prison I went into, you walk in naked, stark naked. And when you get in there, I mean, you state property. So everything, they give you your clothes, Everything you see, read, write, say, hear, eat, drink, everything is controlled. You have no control of anything. You don't, everything that, that comes from outside, it's all censored. There's God's watching you the whole time. It's like a, a closed, like hidden world. And when you speak to your God, his first thing is says, garabasi, that means crouch down. If you don't, they'll completely ignore you. And that's to, because they try and break you. Mm -hmm. And uh, you got to be seen to be below them if, they, if you want to get their attention. And the whole time, because sometimes they'll say, shine my boots. You got to shine these boots. Roll over. You roll over. But I always said to myself, roll over. No problem. Shining boots, that's easy. But you will never change who I am. Mm. And, and that's the secret. They'd imprison my, my body, but I refused to let them imprison my mind. Mm. And it's such a strong lesson for people. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, what someone else thinks of you 
is none of your business. You know who you are. Mm-hmm. Don't ever forget who you are. And, and so many people are intimidated, humiliated, everything. You know who you are. Stand strong. And I think that's, that's a big lesson there. That is such a powerful uh, and profound uh, lesson, Rashti, because you, you're, you talk about the fact that, you know, you'll do all of that, but who you are is, is one thing that can never be changed. And I wonder, Rashti, how many of us go through life locked in our own prisons, allowing some of the things we go through, whether it's someone's opinion of, our, of us or, you know, what people say, whether it's your employer, whether it's a friend or, or some of the silliest things that people get to so worked worked up about uh to, to to changes but it's 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 very powerful to hear you say that that's one thing and i think it underscores what victor victor frankl said uh, in his book but you also write about uh forgiveness and, and rusty how does one find forgiveness <laughs> after having gone through these horrific conditions and and, and your, your story is much like nelson mandela's and i'm sure there are some similarities there but he also you know, chose to, to forgive or, or chose to find forgive. How, how did you find forgiveness? Or how easy was it to find forgiveness or choose to forgive uh, through, through all of this? You know, Fred, my, my, my situation was a little different because it's a, it's a very popular question after my talks. Everyone's suffering from forgiveness in some way. And mine was that I was pushed so low that if I hadn't forgiven them, I wouldn't have made it through there. Hmm. And, and for me, I'm just pointing out how, I, how it happened for me. And I'll never forget the exact moment. I was walking in that exercise yard and I'd had enough of all the anger, hatred, bitterness. It was draining me daily. And, and I looked up and I said to myself, Lord, take care of them. Let me, let me get through this road that's been put in front of me. What goes around comes around that they'll get what they deserve. And um, there's some spiritual moments in my life that I've experienced. That was one of them because it was a physical feeling for me of release. It was like, I, I, I can't explain it. And I couldn't explain it then. I didn't understand it. But it wasn't a gradual thing. It was, a, it was, it was an instant thing. And you know, they say that forgiveness is not a feeling or an emotion. It's, it's a decision. Mm. It's the will to commit to doing something. But when you actually forgive, in your mind, you have to say, I'm going to forgive. Don't go with your emotions because it won't work. And once I've done that, my life in prison changed. And, yet, and if, uh, give you an example. It's like if I'm... If I'm holding a secret that's burning me big time and I've been holding it onto it for years and years and then finally in front of a bunch of people, I just tell them and it's like, I can't get it back. It's gone. And it was that feeling of just like release, like it can't hurt me anymore. And that moment for me was the biggest change in my life in prison. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. and, and, and as I said, for me, it was bigger than anything I could have achieved on my own. True forgiveness was inspired by God Almighty. And so I was letting go, which was a huge weight of my shoulders. 
And I learned to live in the moment from then on because the past was too painful and the future full of, full of unkept promises. So I just dealt with each day as it was. I learned to have faith because no amount of worrying was going to change what I was going through. If you have anger or resentment towards anyone in any way, it will eventually destroy you. Wow. Because that is what those emotions do. They steal from you. They steal happiness and freedom. Uh, Rusty, you, you described forgiveness as not a feeling, but a decision. And, and, it's, and I like that we're talking about forgiveness because there are so many, Rusty, who are locked up or who are, who are withholding blessings because of, of this lack of forgiveness. And it's actually been scientifically proven that by choosing to hold on to, 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 to hatred or, or not choosing to forgive people who have brought upon themselves sicknesses, diseases, heart attacks, high blood pressure. And the moment they make that decision to forgive or to let go, they find that their health begins to improve. And you talk to people who are somehow, you know, caught in this, but then, you know, you hear them saying, well, you know, I'm waiting for such and such to happen before I forgive. But you, you, you mentioned that it's a decision that, that you have to make. And, and it takes me back, Rusty, to the book of Job, which, you know, I'm sure some of you are, are listeners have heard about where Job, you know, went through all that he went through, lost everything, and his friends dogged him. Um, and it got to a point, this was towards the last chapter, and, and, the, and this is how it says, it says, when Job decided to pray for his friends, when he decided, after he prayed for his friends, that's when God heard him and restored everything that he had lost. We often hear that in the end, you know, Job got twice as much, which is true, but something <clears throat> significant had to happen. Job had to pray for his friends who had dogged him. He had every right to not to forgive them because, you know, these were very close friends who, you know, was counting upon, but they all betrayed him and stabbed him in the back. But he got to that point where in spite of all that they did to him, he decided to pray for them and he forgave them. And that is when the blessing was released, which, which I think is, a, is such a very powerful concept that um, is, 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 is worth exploring a, a little bit because I, I know it's not easy. I know there are people watching or listening who have been betrayed, stabbed by friends or, or loved ones, and they have every reason to, to hold on. But your experience, uh, Rusty, and what you went through uh, shows that it was when you decided to forgive that's when you felt that release. Yeah. Correct. Something else I want to share with you, and I haven't shared it on many, many interviews that I've done, was the, the guy I battled the most to forgive. And in Chikurubi Maximum Security Prison, um, there's the three solid walls, and then the one wall is, uh, is a grill mesh. And it's built in a hexagon. So the mesh is all on the inside and outside is all solid walls. So you only see each other. You, you never see outside. And when we washed our clothes and hung them on the walls, they, they wouldn't dry by the next morning, especially in winter. So we used to hang them on the grill and it wasn't allowed because it blocked the view for surveillance for the guards. And most of the guards were they were on site, you know, they would understand you give them cigarettes and stuff and, and it was no problem. But there was one very cruel God. I mean, he used to beat prisoners endlessly. He's just a, a horrible, vicious man. And 
Ngarazi was his name. And he was quite tall, skinny, hunchback, like uh, buck teeth and, and a pale complexion, big eyes. And he'd always smile when he beat somebody. Huh. And they, they put him in reception because he was so violent towards prisoners. And he would get up at some about two to three times a month and come around to all the halls at between uh, three and four in the morning and write down all the garments that are hanging on the, on the mesh. And then at 10 o'clock, when he's supposed to be having his tea, he would come and call all the prisoners and he'd have all the, all the names. Okay, cell three, three garments. Cell five, two, and he'd have all the numbers and those guys that had stuff hanging there, you had to put your fingers together or your, the palms of your hand and he'd beat you with a oh. baton on the ends or on the hands and always smiling when he did it. And it was five on each hand for each garment. And I just, you know, stood there looking at the sky and, and the only way that I could release my anger for him was to pray for him. Oh. I, I just felt sorry for him. I, I just said, God, just thank you that I'm not like him. Oh. And I pray one day he actually realizes how much damage he's doing, oh. how much anger he's instilling in these guys in here. So, uh, I just thought I'd point that out. I've never mentioned that, but it's uh, talk about what Job had to forgive. Yeah. That was a tough one for me to forgive. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. Rusty, it's, you know, oftentimes when people share their success stories, it's about, you know, what they have, you know, where they are, the status, the money and all of that. Um, and, and you were, you were living a pretty comfortable life. You're, you're doing well until this adversity happened, but Am I right in saying that the impact that you're having on the world right now is as a result of the adversity and hardship that you went through, beating the change, the, the chains versus the life that you're, you're living before? Is that, is that a fair assess, uh, assumption to make? 100%. Fred, before prison, I was, uh, I mean, I've done very well. I've worked really hard and, and, you know, took a lot of chances and I, I landed on my feet and opportunities were there. But I was a big fish in a little pool going nowhere, like a hamster on a wheel going round and round. And now I'm a little fish in a whole wide world mm. making a huge difference. And the, and, and the, the difference I'm making now, far out, you know, the pleasure I get huh? from helping others now far outweighs the millions I was making before because wow. I now have a purpose. I, I never had a purpose before. Yeah. It was all about me, 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 and you know, making more money in my empire. And, and when is enough enough? When I came out, I lost everything. But now, and I could be in the safari business again. And, and, and I, I believe that it's my spirit that told me. Because when I started, a lot of people said, what got you into the speaking business? Because I was very good at what I did in the safari industry. And someone, I was telling some, uh, a group of guys from South Africa, the story about addressing um, a, a congregation after I was released, because I wanted to let them know that, I, that I'm still sane, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I had a speech, they threw a party for me. It's like 250, 300 people. So I decided I'm going to make, to give a talk. And I did. And 
<clears throat> I told those guys around the fire about that talk. And the guy asked me if he could see if I had the talk with me. So I said, yeah, it's on my phone. So he said, can I have a look at it? So I showed him and he scrolled down. He said, <clears throat> I've got a new life for you, my friend. This is your calling and I'm going to sponsor you. And he flew me to Joburg. And I just had this spirit telling me, this is what you have to do. It's wow. not about money. It's about making a difference. And once you start changing lives and inspiring people and the feedback from your book and everything just rolls into just what this wonderful big picture that's it uh, it's hard to explain what it's it, and then you realize your why wow. your purpose yeah wow. so it's changed my life completely so, so you know I, I often say to people look what i went through because i was never going to go where i am now I, i'm going where i'm going now is far outweighs where i was going to be but i had to go through all that without being able to see or understand and figure it and, and put it all this all this mess together. Why me? What did I ever do? You know, how come they can't get me out? And now look where I am. And I would never have got this far internationally, never. So God has uh, amazing yeah. ways. He prepares you for where yes. you're going. So if yes. you're going through a real tough time, just remember you're being prepared for where you're going. Absolutely. God has a plan for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Couldn't couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I've often yeah. said this that sometimes uh, our, our, our calling or the calling we have um, is born out of adversity. But oftentimes I think we become so fixated on the pain yeah. of the adversity that we miss out on a calling. And, and that's not to say that it's, it's, it's a fun thing. Uh, but, but Rusty, uh, it, what defines you? This is one thing that I, will, I often ask uh, my guests who, who, come, who come on the podcast. What, what defines you in life? Fred, if I... There are a few things. The one thing everybody always says is nobody else could have could have got through there. And I disagree with that. So I think resilience uh, is, is a word that will define, uh, define me. But I just want to point out that, that there's a difference between like fortitude and resilience. So fortitude in my, just the way I look at it is somebody that it's more about structure. It's more about what you're made of. And you stand up to, to something rigidly, like you can take it. Resilience is when you can bend, you can knock down and you stand up and knock down and you stand up. And I believe that fortitude cannot be learned. You, you either have it or you don't, but resilience you can. You can learn resilience. And so I think resilience is, is for me, is a very big one. Um, positivity is another one. I've always been very confident and positive from a little boy. You know, I've, I've, you know my uncles always told me how I would overshadow my elder brother and everything from my confidence and positiveness. Mm -hmm. And my lawyer always used to say, you're like a cat. Mm. You let, always land on your feet because I just take chances and buy a ranch and buy a drilling machine and just... I'm just positive about whatever I did. I had this, this policy, put the boat in the water and then yeah. learn how to drive yeah. it. You know? so yeah, yeah. I've always yeah. remained positive. And I believe that it was a big part of me, of my getting through prison, um, is my positiveness. So that's another thing. And then I've always been a very loving person, um, passionate. Um, and you know, we naturally wired for love. 
And I think that mainstream media, social media, PlayStation, everything is just negative, negative violence and, and, all, and, and yeah. we've lost love. Yes. You know, we, we've lost what it means to love each other, you know? And, and I just wish that that would come back. Yeah. Um, Rusty, there, there, there are people who are listening to this podcast. There are people who are watching this podcast who are locked up in prisons of all kinds, whether it's, it's hatred or it's unforgiveness or, or past mistakes or failure or, or whatever. You know, gosh, this pandemic, the after effects that we're still dealing with. There, there's so many people who are locked up em- emotionally, um, psychologically. Um, whether it's, it's because they, they suffered a, a hardship and not to minimize any of that. Um, what would you say to, to someone who um, is just stuck in life? Uh, the main purpose of this podcast is really just to challenge the paradigms and mindsets that hold us back. There are so many people who've been held back by you know, mistakes or, or whatever that, that, that prison may be. Um, what, what would you say uh, to someone, Rusty, watching, listening, who, who, just, who just feels stuck in life? That I've realized that even when you're not in prison, there are ways in which you're in prison ourselves. In our business partnerships, petty selected careers, being obsessed with money and ambition in the corporate world, even unhappy marriages. And it's only when you have your freedom completely taken away, mm-hmm. do you realize that you are actually in prison too. And when I look back at it all, it makes me wish I could somehow get through to people how precious and priceless freedom is. Mm. Freedom is not just not being in prison. Freedom is the ability to make a choice and act on it. Freedom is letting go of what you can't control. Freedom is forgiveness. Freedom is being free from negativity. Freedom brings health. If you can be free in all areas of your life, then you'll reach your full potential. Wow. And that's why I'd imagine that nations um, who are probably under <clears throat> colonial rule would fight, would give everything they have for yeah. freedom, right? Because it's it's that yeah. it's it's that powerful. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Rusty, that what a what a powerful, what a powerful lesson um, and experience again. Your life, just just hearing you talk, watching the smile and the spirit with which you're sharing your story is such is such uh, is such relieving. And I trust that if you've been watching or, or listening, that, that your life has, has been insp- impacted by, by Rusty's story. Uh, and I'll encourage you to check out Rusty's book, Beating Change. And his website is www.beatingchange.com. Uh, grab that book, read a story, um, share this pod- podcast with, with someone. And you just never know whose life uh, you might be saving by, by, just, by just making this available. Rusty, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again and sharing your life and all that you went through. And I want to say thank you really for giving yourself to the world. And um, it's, it's, just, it's just so so positive hearing you talk and, and living this life, even in spite of all, all that you went through. Any closing remarks, Rusty, that you want to share um, with, her, with her audience as we, as we wrap up this podcast? Life in prison or in Las Vegas, it's still just life. It's what you make of it, no matter where you are. I had everything I could ever wish for, and in moments it was all gone. Live life to the fullest, love more, and laugh from deep down hard. 
That's my message. A good laptop. <laughs> Rusty, thank you so much. Yeah, I want your quote you again is, is worth is worth sharing. It says everyone is faced with challenges, but it is who you are and the depth of your determination that will get you through life's darkest moments. Again, remember you can hear, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon, and Pandora. Again, thank you for tuning in to the podcast. Thank you, Fred. Stay well. Thank you, Rusty. Okay. Bye-bye, Fred. Thank you.